0: wants to race. Sarah! Don't race. That's ridiculous. Alright, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Put your window down! He wants something. Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you, thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you! <laughs> what a moron. They're going in the wrong direction! You're going to kill somebody! RUN! Right. Thank you. That is from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And that movie was back in 1981. Yeah, some of you weren't even born yet. Anyway, Uh, yeah, back in 1981, John Candy, uh, he passed away in 96, I think, I believe. Yeah, so the the chubby guy on the right. So um, now why did I show that um, movie clip? Well, uh, I titled this uh, sermon in Luke chapter 11, uh, entitled it Misdirection. And uh, I was, while I was uh, reading it and preparing it, it kind of reminded me of my time uh, camping. Now some of you know that uh, I, uh, I go on an annual camping trip with a few of my guy buddies. It's just a sore excuse to drink lots of beer, eat a lot of steak, a lot of bacon, without the voice of reason in, in my head, which usually sounds like Rosanna, you know, like a uh, like voice of reason that says no. Like, so then just us guys as husbands with kids that just want to get away from the all, you know, and just uh, hang out. So. Uh, there was one camping trip we were heading to Pemberton and it's quite a lot of drive and it was a long one and it was pitch black because uh, we were, uh, some of us had to work so it was, uh, we left late and, you know, long drives, three guys in the car, you know, like, it's, it's a, so conversations happen, right, deep conversations, you know, we talk and talk and talk and talk and then uh, my GPS was on, right, and it's because I didn't know how to get there. And uh, I guess, uh, as we were talking, I missed that the GPS is telling me to turn. So I just kept on going, right? But then, uh, uh, so then I realized, that, oh my, oh, I, I missed the turn. And uh, the GPS just said, recalculating, okay, cool, it's recalculating. And it just says, continue going straight. And I go, oh, cool, okay. You know, I trust the GPS. Mind you, the GPS the screen was only this big, right? And then uh, um, I kept on going and going, and then uh, suddenly, I, uh, uh, it just dawned on me after an hour and a half of driving. Uh, I'm going, this can't be right. How come we're driving so long, <laughs> right? And then my friend, uh, it dawned on him to actually zoom out. You know, zoom out the GPS. You know, it goes, he pushed a little bit and he, and he goes, "Oh no!" <laughs> right? He's like, because the GPS was programmed to make, uh, uh, where there, it's not allowed to make illegal U-turns. So it actually told us to make a turn on the next town, oh. to come back, <laughs> so we can completely missed our turn off, completely missed our camping site, right? We were two hours past our camping site and we had to come back. Lesson learned, right? And so so for this uh, chapter, I realized, you know, how many times in our lives have we done that? You know, our GPS is so small like this. We're going and going and then we stumble a little bit and then say, oh, like, are we making, are we doing the right thing? Are we heading the right direction? And then uh, yet, you know, we only see the screen and then suddenly like something happens and then it zooms out and goes, oh no, we're going the wrong direction actually. And that's my point today. The question is uh, for us this morning is, where are you going? That's it. Where are you going? Where are you headed? Whether you're working, whether you're young as a, in college, whether you're like me as a parent, whether you're retired, where are you going? Because you're still going somewhere even when you're retired. Right? I still remember David Jennings in our executive series last year, uh, the year before. He says, everybody's going somewhere still, or else why bother waking up, right? So where are you going, retired, whether you're working or not? Everybody has to go somewhere. So where is our destination? What's our destination? And if you, if you know that, are you following the right GPS then? Are you sure that the destination is correct? And are you sure that the GPS is heading that right way? Because maybe your GPS is that small screen and needs to be wider. So that's where we're headed today. And you know what, like good Christians and this is like Christmas and I just read you the passage on light, right? Guess where our direction is? Jesus, right? <laughs> right, so that's our direction, that he's our light. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be have Jesus as our destination? What does it mean to have Jesus as our light? Right. Is it, uh, and then you're trying to figure out right now probably as you're sitting there, is it meaning zooming out on my GPS, that's the light? Maybe. So let's go on. So we begin with chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 11 and I will start right in the beginning. Luke chapter 11 verse 1 to 13 and I'll read it and you just follow. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. Doors are already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you: Ask and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, sorry, how much more will the father? In heaven, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It's kind of interesting. Uh, interesting in a way that why the disciples asked Jesus how to pray. Think about it. Who are they? Jews or Gentiles? Jews. Jews. For Pete's sake, you should know how to pray already. <laughs> right? You, you were born and raised in a Christian home, well, Jewish home, right? You already know the Shabbit and the, and, the, uh, and the dreadles and everything. You should know this stuff. Right? Like, uh, and you should know how to pray. Right? Like, you've been born in a Jewish home every single day and night, middle of the week. Like, you do your festivals, you should know how to pray. So, why would the disciples ask Jesus how to pray? That's a rhetorical question, isn't it? Or that's a dumb question. Right? We've got to review our climate here. So, what's going on back in the first century when Jesus was there? Well, everybody, all the Jews, were trying to figure out how to get to the kingdom of God. Correct? Because God was absent. He's nowhere to be found. He's not talking to us. He's not doing anything. So everybody's desperate in finding new systems, new ways, new methods, or even old ways, rehashing old ways, to try to figure out how am I supposed to be a child of God and how am I to be in the kingdom of God. And for the past few weeks, we realized that, one, you have to be a Jew. Ethnic Jew. Some people really believe that you have to be a Jew. Ethnic Jew. So true ethnic Jew. No bacon, (laughs) no no fun, no drinking, anything. Ethnic true Jew. Gotta be strong Jew. Second, you also have to follow the commandments and not just follow the Old Testament commandments. You have to follow more commandments. More legislation around it so that to guarantee you not to stumble on those commands. You, You follow? So you have different sections of uh, uh, people now. You have some say, I got the right way. The Essenes got the right way. The Pharisees got the right way. The temple priests got the right way. The Samaritans got the right way. And then uh, now the true Jews got the right way. So if you think about it, everybody has the right way to pray too, right? Everybody would probably say, no, no, this is how you should pray. No, 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 this, this is how you should pray. Because this is the only way God will answer you. So, Last week, we actually visited the disciples and what did the disciples were fighting about? Who was the greatest disciple? Who's the greatest Jesus? Am I the one who got it right? or is Peter the one who got it right? Is James the one who got it right? Everybody's competing now. and then, uh, and then they got Jesus and then when you're following Jesus, a guy who could do miracles and could speak and, and could be so wise and, uh, and so audacious then to the disciples' mind, to your mind, maybe, I'm following a hero. I'm following the numero uno guy now. Everybody else sucks. It's Jesus that counts now. He's our hero. He's our messiah. He's going to free us from the Roman Empire. He's going to take us and battle it out, fight and kill all the Romans for us. Jesus is our military warrior. You know, he's our commando and captain-in-chief. So guess what? He must have the right way to pray. You following that? He must have the right way to pray. He must have the right way to do religion. He must have the right way to do church. He must have the right way to sing the songs and play the piano and lead worship. He must have the right way, not everyone else. And so it doesn't surprise us now, now you follow, why they ask something that's rhetorical. Now, they, so the disciples, says, how should we pray? Meaning, Jesus, you seem to have it all together. You seem to be our hero, you're the number one guy, you beat out the Pharisees, we know that, you beat out the temple priests. now I want to know how to pray. But then, so the question for the disciples go, how should we pray then? But Jesus, instead, responds in a different way. It's not how, but pray for what? Because the disciples, what were they usually praying for? All the Jews were praying for. The demise of the Romans kill them all, right, get rid of them. I want my normal life back, right, get rid of them. Those hated Romans, right. God, come back, send a military warrior, free us from slavery. The disciples didn't ask that question. The disciples didn't ask, what should we pray for? They just said, how? Because they already know what, how? And Jesus answered with a what. He answered the what question. Let's take a look at this. First of all, Jesus says, Uh, So he goes, you know what, let's let's reteach you and realign your compass on how you should pray and what you should pray for. So first off, he says, acknowledge that God is the Father. What does that mean? That God provides us with everything. We are his child, right? No one prays this prayer if you are not a child of God. So basically, if you're not a believer, you wouldn't pray this prayer because you won't acknowledge that God is your father. P. Christians would say, God, Father God, because we acknowledge that God, our Father, provides us with everything we need. We are his children. So first and foremost, Jesus says, get rid of all that you know, like uh, get rid of all that stuff that uh, you uh, like thought of, of me uh, like a military warrior. Your ultimate Lord is God, Father God. And that's why we pray, Father God, because he is our father, we are his children, and we submit to him, and he provides for our needs. The child acknowledges who provides for her, and the child acknowledges who gives her grace and mercy, and that's Father God. And that's why it follows through with forgiveness of sins, because we know that if we are forgiven through God the Father, we have to forgive others. And we also know that we have to receive God's forgiveness, meaning that... We acknowledge that we're sinful, meaning that every day we are sinful. Not one of us is without sin. We are sinful, regardless of what we think or how ma- how well we match up with our Bible studies or prayers or beautiful singing. Right? We are all sinful, and so there's a twofold thing that God is our Father. Acknowledge that He is a, that only grace and mercy comes from Him. Acknowledge that we, as a child of God really depend on his grace and mercy and admit that we are sinners and have that stance, that humble stance in front of him. But then, Jesus kind of continues on with this weird story about asking and seeking and knocking. How many of us evaluate our prayers? Like, uh, what do we ask of? I still remember back in the Chinese church when I was there, um, a lot of times I hear this word, chok some we chok right? God will bless me. But then what are they really asking for? Right? Mainly it's as health, right? Sustainability, good kids, right? Uh, well-behaved kids, obedient kids, <laughs> right? Um, and then uh, or money, wealth, right? Uh, mainly health and wealth. And so it's like, it, like it's kind of wrong-headed then, right? So what does Jesus say we should pray for? If God the Father provides for everything, and we just acknowledge that he provides our bread, right, provides what we need, what should we pray for? You guys see it in verse 13? Sorry, April. Verse 13. Everybody got their Bibles? Verse 13. Okay, let me reread it again. Starting in verse 12. Or if you ask for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Interesting enough, Jesus says, if you ask persistently for the Holy Spirit, God will not rest until he gives it to you. That is something that he guarantees. I still remember a professor, my New Testament professor, Rick Watts. He was a new believer. He's a Pentecostal and uh, he really yearned for the experience of the Holy Spirit. He yearned for it. He really, really yearned for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Nothing else mattered, because he knew that he, God would provide him with the bread. He knew that God would provide him with sustenance. He knew that everything, he knew that God would give him the health and whatever, right, because it's all in God's will anyway. God could give him cancer too. He does, God does. God could give you an illness. God could give you a, a horrible child. God could give you whatever. God could even take away your, all your money and your health, right, it doesn't matter. But one thing that Rick Watts wanted was the Holy Spirit because Jesus promised it. Jesus promised for the Holy Spirit. If we ask, he will give because it's in this prayer. That no matter how persistent we are, we could be very persistent, audacious, we could knock on the door in the middle of the night, God will answer because we ask for the Holy Spirit and God will give. God will give. He guarantees it. He promises it. That is what we're supposed to pray for, folks. Like, when we pray, we got to remember that the first thing and the last thing that we say in our prayers is that God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me realize who you are. Help me sense your presence. Help me feel your tangible touch and feel your love for me with your Holy Spirit. Get rid of every nook and cranny, every sin that is in my body. Show me where should I go. That's the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not about asking for stuff. The Lord's Prayer is asking for who? And it's the Holy Spirit. Okay? So then Jesus, first of all, he says, folks, disciples, you're hanging in the wrong direction. I know your intent in your prayers. I know why you asked uh, how to pray. But let me tell you something. It's not about how you pray. It's who you pray for. And who you pray and who you want to come into your life. What your request should be in your prayer, right? It could be a long list to stuff, but hey, wipe it all out, folks. Get rid of all that list. The only thing that we request right now is the Holy Spirit. Acknowledge who God is. He's the giver of life, sustainer, and then at the same time, make a request for the Holy Spirit. That's your prayer. You guys follow? All right, let's move on to verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. Uh, It was somebody else. It was a person that had a demon that was mute. I think there was just a translation here. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebel, the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. Others tested him uh, by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because your claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his, possess- p- p- his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers, guards his, uh, overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of the person is worse than the first. Hoy, what is going on there, <laughs> right? See, um, first of all, Jesus says, continue to pray for the Holy Spirit. Great, right? Step one. That's where our alignment should be, our direction. But why? Why are we supposed to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives? And what evidence it shows that the Holy Spirit is really working in you? Because a lot of times, I bet you have this question right now. How do I know that the Holy Spirit's in me? How do I not even know that he's working in me? Right? This is actually the passage. Interesting. This is the passage to answer that question. Why? Well, as we continue to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to consume us, He's now residing in us and living in us. We are the temple of God. We are the house of God, okay? Scripture says. And so the more he shows, shows up in our lives, the more he consumes us. Guess what lessons? Sin. Especially habitual ones. There's habitual sins that we all have. And sometimes it's not as bad as pornography, or lust, or drugs, or anything. Like, we're all Chinese here, Like very rarely we will go into that deep root, right? Opioids, whatever. But there are some things that are quite hidden in our lives, it percolates. Control, a sense of control. My life, I'm in control, I want it my way, Lord bless it. How about a sense of pride? Selfishness, greed, right? Envy, right, those things all of uh, Shazam's, Captain Marvel's gods lining up, like, you know, Shazam, yeah, never mind. <laughs> right? So it's those things, bitterness, right? Bitterness, loss, grief, continue to be grieving, right? Continually wanting more, consumption, those simple things. Those are sins too, and those are comes habitually. If we notice that those sins lessen, let's say we come to a situation, God will give us many situations to let us know if our sins actually lessen, okay? There will be. Let's say he'll just throw in a guy to cut you off in traffic. What are you gonna do, right? And then if you cuss, well, that's what you did last time, so really, you're not there yet, (laughs) right? Or let's say there was a a great deal at at Walmart for, I don't know, an Instapot. Right, and it was like lined up on a on a skid, and everybody's chasing after it. And then you saw a little old lady who's walking slowly, and you shove her away, and then they push it, and you take it. But then this little old lady, you underestimated her strength because she probably has a lot more strength than you are. She rips it out of your hands, right? And you just started cussing there. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's not probably not working right now in you. You still have a long way to go. But I know this for myself. If somebody asks me money on the street in downtown, especially on Granville. Lots in Granville, uh, Gramble in Georgia. And then uh, before, I would go, you know, like you guys, you're probably going to use it for drugs. Why do I even bother giving it to you, right? But I share it with you now. As I get convicted, and I do more, and I try to intentionally install apps on my phone so that I could have a Starbucks app, a McDonald's app, a Tim Hortons app, so that I could say, hey, I just bought you a, some, a meal. Go to Tim Hortons and pick it up. Uh, it's under my name. Or go to Starbucks and pick it up. It's under my name. Go. The more I do that, I feel less and less selfish for myself overall in the whole grand scheme of things. I become less and less tightening the hold of money. And I realize that Jesus is right. The more you obey, the more the Holy Spirit comes into you and consumes you, and your sin becomes less and less. This is so important when we pray. We gotta reflect upon what kind of sins uh, are we doing that needs to be lessened. And, to, and we ask the Holy Spirit, reveal more opportunities for me so that I can invite you in. So that's the whole thing. Because when he, Jesus says, yeah, the house, you know, you could do spring cleaning. Clean out that demon for now. But if you never admit it, if you don't change, if you don't act on it, if you don't repent of your pride or your selfishness or your stubbornness or whatever, and you still, and then uh, you just clean it out for one week, guess what? More of that would come. Because it's clean two or three or four, your pride will continue to grow without even you knowing. And your selfishness continues to grow without you knowing. And then Jesus says, you're even made way worse than before. Interesting what he says, eh? Spring cleaning doesn't work, guys. Going to church and just uh, praying and say, oh, forgive me, and then suddenly the rest of the six days you do the same thing, you're just going to get worse because you become more complacent and more used to that. And it becomes, now it just becomes part of your life. Okay, let's move on. Oh, he sounds so smart. Now, we, like, uh, he meets this woman, because he sounds so smart. Uh, guys, so what does the woman say? As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, blessed rather than are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This is the conclusion I say from the prayer. Why do I say that? Where do, what did we begin with? Acknowledging that God is our father top priority. I'm going to be preaching this later on, so uh, but uh, not right now, but about family values and family loyalties. But here, we're talking about Jesus goes, Father God, that's who you serve, that's who you're loyal to, that's who you're honored with. What does this woman say? Mom and dad are who you're loyal to. She actually, without knowing, she put Jesus in his place. He goes, Gee, like in the mother's, that woman's mind, Jesus, but you still fall under the authority of your parents. Is that right? No. Right? Jesus says, no, he gently said it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Notice that? Notice how this concludes that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is that Jesus acknowledges, says, you've got to acknowledge that God is your ultimate authority, not your parents'. This woman says, no, you're still under your parents' authority. And then Jesus says, no, you're not. I'm not either. The people who are under uh, the authority is under the authority of God. And we have to obey him only. You follow? More to say on that later in uh, chapter 14. But right now, we're just that. Jesus says, this is a, we have to continue to remind ourselves who is really the ultimate authority figure. We have no loyalties to parents. We love them. We serve them, but when it comes to obedience, and God is uh, right now in conflict, it's contrary to what your parents are asking, guess who takes authority? God. Chapter 29. I mean, verse 29, sorry. Chapter 29 is just already over. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. and asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will, will the Son of Man to be this generation. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at, against a, at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body, when your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as the light, as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. The sign of Jonah is this. If you know the Jonah story, basically, it's to repent. Repent or else, right? You remember that story? Repent or else. Jesus says he's the light. He's here now. This light, bright light. Don't douse it. Don't wear sunglasses. What do I mean by that? Here, I'll give you an example. I told some of you my story about Thailand. And um, I went to, uh, you know, one of my uh, career paths uh, was a a furniture importing company, and I got a chance to travel to Thailand uh, to visit factories. And then uh, one night, uh, my boss, I think I told this story to some of you, one night my boss uh, said, hey, let's go shopping, right? And then I go, okay, being stupid <laughs> and naive at the time, I said, okay, let's go, let's all go, right? And then uh, you know, we, me and a few sales persons went with my boss to go shopping. And then there was this uh, uh, red district called Paobo. Now, uh, red district meaning that uh, there's open strip clubs, Right? like So it's open, no walls or anything, right? And then there were boys dressed as girls, boys that look like girls and girls that, you know, you know what I mean, a full variety, right? And then I was going, oh, crap, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, whatever. like, where have I gone, right? And then, uh, so then I go, okay, what do I do, what do I do? And then uh, all the salespeople, they go, come on, John, let's go in, right? Like We're going into this uh, thing and have some fun. No one will know. Your wife is on the other side of the car. Co- uh, globe, (laughs) right? She won't know. And then I go, no, (laughs) no, can't, right? No, can't. And then so then they all went in and I was stranded in the intersection of Pablo. And then I'm like, oh, nuts, (laughs) right? So then I was praying and praying. And then uh, I go, Lord, deliver me. Kill me. You know, just just kill me. You know, like, this is, that's probably the easiest way out right now just to (laughs) strike me with lightning and just, like, shoot me, right? Just kill me right there, right? Because, you know, all these women are plucking and prodding and pulling and, you know, right? Come on, let's go. I go, Lord, just deliver me now. Right? Like, the best way to do it, just kill me, right? And then I heard that God speaking through his spirit, going, look up. And then I go, I looked up, and there, finally, salvation through the golden arch. There was a McDonald's four blocks away. <laughs> and, and I ran for it, right? I ran for the, to the McDonald's and, and just stayed there for the next five hours, Five hours in the dark in Thailand, not knowing whether my ride's gonna come and fish me out or anything, right? <laughs> and then so then I was there, waiting for my sailor. I go, God, what do I do? Because uh, I know, like, I'm uh, just having a coffee, and I'm like, I'm praying, like, what do I do? I'm lost, because I don't know Thai. Is that what they speak, Thai, <laughs> right? It's like, and those guys are in there. I don't know how long they'll be, and they might get drunk, and they might just drive away, right, back to the hotel. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna be stranded here, right? And uh, stupid me, the passport was in the hotel, too. <laughs> And then so, like, um, but then Guy got like, pulled through. Uh, I went out, he told me get out. And then I walked out, and guess what? The whole team was there, uh, along with their purchases. But, uh, like, rentals, actually. And, um, and uh, I go, okay, this is better than nothing, <laughs> right? And then we all went into the van and went. Now, the reason why I tell you this story is that it's what happened the night, the day after. See, we are called to be light to the nations. And this is what light, what light happens. So uh, the next day we went to a factory. Everybody was quiet, so quiet. Right? No one ate their breakfast. Well, except for me. Right? I ate like tons because it was like a buffet. Right? And then, uh, and then uh, uh, one guy came. I don't know why it was all so quiet, but I kind of know why. And then uh, one guy, and then one of the salesmen came right up to me, and he took out his hand, and I go, "What's this for? I'm going to shake your hand because I've never seen a man stand up for his beliefs." That strongly, and that well. Thank you. Light. We could blur the light. We could justify our behavior. We could like, a, like you know, Jesus shines His light here, and it shines all the darkness and little crannies that we have. But we could justify it by putting shades, right? That's what He meant by salt too, right? Salt and light, salt. By putting shades down and saying, "Oh, you know, it's not that bad. I'll hang around with a crowd that does the same thing as I do." But when we encounter real light, true light, and then say and not put up shades, and actually acknowledge every single sin in our body, in our uh, psyche, and say, Lord, just take it away from me. That's what Jesus said is made by this light. That we allow him to consume us. That's our destination, folks. That's the Holy Spirit. The, whole, we, the Holy Spirit is the light to purge us from all the sin within. And when we could do that, we could be the light to the nations. Light convicts. Are we going to allow light to convict us? Or are we going to just out-justify it and just hang out with a different crowd to say that we're, that we're okay? No, we shouldn't. We should go where the light is allow the light to shine on us. See, let's go move on to uh, verse 39. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as far for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all the other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens. They can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to the knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. See, folks, these guys, these lawmakers, are very similar to us churchgoers. We think that uh, we have it all, like right? we read our Bibles uh, every day. We pray the right prayers. We sing the right songs. We sing hallelujah, whatever. We recite things in our heads. We try to make a positive attitude for ourselves, saying that we're God's child. But then deep down, if we haven't uh, eradicated all the sin and acknowledge that we are sinful, then really we're heading the wrong direction. Then really we're not actually requesting the right thing. See, he says that woe. Woe is not, do you know what woe means? Woe is, gosh, how unfortunate you missed the point. Whoa means how unfortunate you missed the point. You completely missed the point. Like me with the GPS, right? I missed the exit, yet I still thought that I was going the right way, and then uh, realizing then, <laughs> then, I, then we zoomed up, whoa, <laughs> we completely missed the point, <laughs> right? That type of woe. We completely missed the point. How unfortunate. Folks, I want to close with this. Don't be regretting what that that, that, that we're that we're going the wrong direction. Don't say the woe. Don't don't say, oh shoot. Like at the end of the judgment day, like uh, and when Christ comes and then we realize, oh man, I got it all wrong. Whoa. To you. Our ultimate destination is to continue to pray and request the Holy Spirit to come, shine its light, his light on us to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Acknowledge that God is the ultimate authority and will provide for all our needs so that we don't have to request things. Let's find out and figure out and cleanse our prayers as well. Shine the light on our prayers. What are we really truly requesting? Because what we're requesting is where our destination is and is that really where we want to go? Or is our destination the Holy Spirit? Pray for the Holy Spirit. Acknowledge God will provide. Provide for all what we need. Yet, pray for the Holy Spirit. For that is one request God will guarantee to answer. And you will not regret that. You will not say, whoa. Amen. And hence, that's Christmas. Christmas is our opportunity. Christmas is our opportunity to realign our compasses and our destination. It gave the opportunity for the Jews, too, to align their destination. Jesus came down as a light to shine his light on us to allow us to welcome the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, to give that access so that we won't be woe.